so let's recap as we usually do last week. Does anybody remember what we talked about last week? Equipped for good work, equipped for good work, right? So um, really good study last week. We discussed how and why we're equipped for good work in the Lord um, and through the word of God, specifically how that equips us through the understanding of some principles. Timothy exhibits that Paul has said, hey, you are exhibiting these things as a worker, right? We talked about how Timothy followed Paul. We talked about that word a little bit, not just followed, but to come along and follow closely. And we looked at that root word. What was the root word of that follow? Does anybody remember? It's the same word we call the Holy Spirit when Jesus says he's sending him. And per, yeah, per, paraclete. So that's the root word of the word that he uses to follow, which the paraclete to come alongside, right? So very important, the one who comes alongside. So Timothy follows Paul in his teaching, his conduct, his faith, his patience, his love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. So Timothy's in it. Paul's walking this amazing life as an apostle. Timothy gets right in there and is like, I'm going to learn. Like, I'm going to follow. I'm going to be like you as you are like Christ. <laughs> There's a pattern here. Um, that doesn't need to be just followed by elders of the church. Remember, this letter is for us, but not to us. It's to Timothy. But we gain a lot from it, or like glean a lot from it, if you like that word. There's these principles that he's giving Timothy, but there's a lot that we can see in it that we can very much do on our own about the way we follow um, and that pattern here should not just be followed by pastors or elders, but by all of us, all believers, we should follow good teaching, right? We should all sit under and listen to good pastors, preachers, teachers, and random teaching. I don't know about you. I listen to podcasts all week. So listen to things that are good for you, that are healthy for you. Things that um, not just lift you up spiritually, but build you up spiritually, if that makes sense, right? And then conduct, conduct yourself like true believers. The way you act, the way you make conscious decisions about the way you interact with people in your life. That's a tough one for me because, and I'm sure some of you guys are the same way. Like when you become a decision maker as your career goes by, sometimes it's very easy to just make a decision without looking, you know, left and right. And you just um, ignore some of the other possibilities or sensitivities that are around you. And as believers, we need to make sure we are making well-reasoned uh, Christian decisions. So following good teaching, conducting yourself as believers, growing in your faith, your patience, and your love. And I'm not going to dive into that, but also we need to know that if you love Jesus, you're going to get persecuted somehow. So Paul has been breaking that out through Timothy. He's like, hey, things are going to happen. That's going to happen on different levels. You know, in the case of the first century, um, they ended up killing a lot of believers, killing a lot of Christians. Depending on where you are in the world today, they are killing Christians. Remember, some of these guys have been to Africa. Africa is a pretty, pretty bad place to be a believer. If you've been to the Pashtun region, the most unreached region for the gospel on the planet, less than 2% of the people that live there are believers. They kill people for being Christians. <clears throat> we don't live like that here, but there are other ways you will be, you know, I'm doing air quotes, persecuted, right? So people will come against you for the gospel. People will deny the gospel to your face. I mean, you see it on the news. You see it in colleges. I mean, you got to be careful about the way that you present the gospel in some places because sometimes it's not useful 
in the way that you think it would be useful, you end up getting shouted down or run out. So just uh, we need to know that when you are an overt believer and you're sharing the gospel with people, that it may not be received well, even if you love them, right? Like you genuinely want people to believe and you care about their well-being and their future. They don't care. Persecution will come for us all. So we need to be prepared for that. I think what Paul is saying here to Timothy and by that, he's saying it to us. So just be prepared that things are going to come that are uncomfortable for you. And as we emulate those attributes, we're called to remember these things. Continue in the things that you learned. So remember as you move along, learn well, build yourself up in the faith, things you're convinced of. So the true gospel message, essentially, remember where you learned it. So we start with the Bible. I'm a firm believer in, in, in stating this regularly. The Bible is the authority, not me, not you. It's the Bible. Um, and then through the apostles, who are the pillars of the faith, right, with Christ as the cornerstone. And then we know the word of God is reliable. And for Timothy, what Paul says is it was the sacred writings. So after we talked through all of that last Sunday, we talked about this big Greek word. That's not a compound word, but it looks like one. Does anybody remember what that crazy word was? Theonoustos. Theonoustos, right? So it looks like a compound word, but it's really just one word, which means the breath of God, right? So, and, and it's such an awesome, <clears throat> awesome study because you think about, like, if I am reading out of this, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. If you're reading the scriptures, God is breathing that scripture over you. And I love this study. And I told you, go to that um, old podcast that I did. It was actually from a church that I spoke at a long time ago. If you listen to that, what I really got into here is some of that relationship of just breathing, which is an amazing mechanism for the human body. And if you think about God's breath, in reality, God forms Adam out of the dirt. And what does he do to him? He breathed, he breathed into him. So think about the comparison, the juxtaposition of the two is God breathes life into Adam and then he gives you his breath. Who does Jesus say that he is? He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's like he's breathing his life into you by reading this. So it's an amazing study. I'm going to get on a tangent. So when you put it all together and you sum it up at the end, Paul says at the end of last week's study, so 2 Timothy 3.17, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as we know, as we went back to Ephesians 2, we are saved for good works. That's why he saved us. So we equip ourselves through these good practices while the Holy Spirit equips us for good work. And this is what makes us useful for reaching people for the gospel, is being equipped. God equips our hearts. We are equipping our heads and through uh, you know, us doing that and working with the Holy Spirit, we are becoming good uh, uh, people to reach others for the gospel, right? You're walking with him, you're talking with him, you are learning from him, you're sitting in a good fellowship, and then you bring that to your friends, your neighbors, and your family. And the hope is that they see that hope in you and they say, hey, I want some of that hope. So then they're pricked. The Holy Spirit does that work in them and then... Our hope for them is that they're saved, right? So hopefully that study helped you realize the importance of reading your Bible. And this is something I try to harp on with you guys. If you haven't heard me say it before, you need to read the book. You have to read the book. 
That, this is part of the Christian walk. It's not just sitting and, and doing this. It's you've got to go home and read the book. I, I think every day is a good study. And people ask, like, well, how long? Five minutes? I'm like, I don't know. How long do you give TV during the day? If you give the TV an hour, but you give God five minutes, maybe you should flip that and give God an hour and give TV five minutes. I, I, I don't know what that looks like in your life. And I know people are at different busy points in their life, but there are a lot of ways you can get this in you during the day. For me, um, I study all the time because it's kind of what I'm doing right now. But what I try to do for my weekly study is I do it when I get up in the morning. So I get up, make coffee, we go out with the dogs and I sit and I just read for a little while. And I don't think you need to read something outside of what we're reading. I don't think you have to be this person who's like, oh, I'm doing all these extra studies. I don't, that, it, that's just not the way it works. It's not magic. The whole like, I'm going to flip point and that thing's going to speak to me today. And we've been in Timothy for weeks and weeks and weeks now. Read backwards from where we were and just keep reading through it. I guarantee you God will give you something new out of that that you, we didn't cover. Or read forward. So when you're sitting here on Sunday and we're digging into it, you go, oh my gosh, that, look at that. I, I knew it. I got it. We're talking about it today. I think you'll find it's not magic, but it's the Theonoustos. It's God's breath. He's breathing it over you. It's very important. All right. We transition to the end of Paul's letter uh, for the next two weeks. So we're going to do 2 Timothy um, chapter 4. We'll do two studies out of it. And then we're going to move on to Titus. But in this particular section, we're going to talk about seasons a little bit. And you're going to find, and I think for Timothy, it was preaching season. It's time for him to go preach the gospel. I think you'll find when we do this study, you're going to find it's preaching season for us right now. It's time to go find somebody that needs to hear about Jesus and preach it to them. Proclaim it to them. Exclaim it to them. And I think you'll see that with me as we go through this. So go to 2 Timothy with me. Go to chapter 4 and let's read verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. It will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is an amazing good news study about what happens at the end, about gaining the crown of righteousness, but there's more to it because there's work to be done. As we just got studying, got done studying last week, doing good works. So Paul's going to make a statement at the beginning of this, a very strong imperative statement. Remember, we have 
those two kind of when we went through Ephesians and broken in half, there's indicatives and imperatives, right? One that indicates who God is, why he's deserving of who he is, why he has the authority of who he is. Then there's imperatives, which is like based on the indicatives, this is why we do this. So Paul's giving one of these statements. It is imperative. I am charging you, as he says here, solemnly charging. Very strong imperative. We've seen him do this in the past. He's not just <coughs> charging Timothy under his own power, right? Under his own, what he feels is best for the church or what he feels is best for Timothy. He's charging Timothy in the presence of God. So like if I stand in front of you and say, God is with me. God agrees with me. Jesus Christ agrees with me. I am telling you to do this because God wants you to do this. He affirms that this is the Jesus, is the Jesus who will come to judge the living and the dead, who will bring his kingdom at the end. He's like, this is the God that's with me that's telling you need to do these things. The God who's going to come and judge everything. So this is a big charge. It, it, it kind of makes it weighty if you will. That's what he's trying to say to him. I could just tell you to do something. If I tell my kids to clean their room and it's just dad, they're like, eh, doesn't carry much weight. It's just dad. But I'm like, if I come and tell you to clean your room because God and Jesus Christ and the whole kingdom who comes with him at the end is telling you to clean your room, it gives it this great weight, right? So I know that's kind of a ridiculous juxtaposition, but if you will, standing in front of Timothy, it's like, I'm not telling you this because of what I know. I'm telling you this because God is telling you to do this. Um, one of the things that's important about this, if you dig into it, is to realize that there's no other Jesus. No one else is coming at the end to save you. Nothing else is going to happen. You will not be reincarnated. There's not a second chance. This idea that by his appearing in his kingdom, he is like, this is the Jesus who's coming to judge. This is the Jesus who's coming to save. There is only one of them. You, all of the other myths that are going on in Ephesus around you are irrelevant. He affirms that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. <clears throat> so it's like, Timothy, hey, buckle up. I need you to listen, Okay. All right, so we know that from the study last week, and we talked about it a couple times, that we're equipped for good work. So he's going to give us some of the things. He told us how to be equipped. Like, how do we do that? Stay in the Word of God. Sit under good studying. Have good doctrine. Right? All of those things. Practice being a good Christian. But now he's going to give us some of the things that are the good works that we need to do specifically that Timothy needs to do as an elder of the church, as a pastor of the church. These are some of the things you need to be doing. It's not an extensive list, but if you will, he's talking about the message that Timothy is going to bring to the church, right? And he's going to give some great examples of what those good works for the church look like. And specifically from the text, he gives us these preach the word, be ready in and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and then teach with great patience. So six specific things for a preacher to bring to his church are these things. Now, as we've said in the past, this book is not to us, but it's for us. And every one of these things applies to you in your life. And I'm going to show you how every one of these things applies to you as a person who brings the good news, who brings the hope of Christ to your family, to your friends, to your sister, to your brother, to your kids, all of them apply 
absolutely to how we have received the good news, received the gospel, and then we bring it to other people. We exclaim who he is. We reprove, rebuke, exhort. We have patience with them. Because remember, it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. They're all part of the work that the church needs to do, but they're also part of what you need to do. So let's talk about them just for a minute. So one, preach. <clears throat> so we've gone through the studies in Timothy. We referenced Titus. Right? There is an elder or a pastor for the church, and that is a specific role. It is a man's role as laid out by God. But this doesn't just mean preacher. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's meaning exclaim. Um, this word here, keruso, means to proclaim the word. It can mean a preacher standing up and preaching the word. And I think in Timothy's case, that's what Paul's saying. Hey, go preach. Or it can mean you proclaiming the truth. What the word actually means is to herald. Does anybody know what a herald is? Does anybody ever sing that, Christi that uh, Christmas song? Hark the herald angels sing. Now, why do they say the herald angels? Does anybody know? Because it's the good news of who? The king. So to herald would be when the person takes the king's scroll of, say, a new law or something the king is going to do, and he goes outside the castle, and he stands and he heralds what the king's message is to the people. They would stand up there and say, hear ye, hear ye, boom, and they lay it all out, right? So what this word here to preach is, it means to herald. It means bring the good news of the king to the people. We can all do that. A herald is the person reading the, the good news. So you should be a herald. Do this. Bring the truth to people. He wants us to do that. He wants people to hear it through you. So one of the reasons you're here, I mean, I, I think the simple question would be, do you believe you're going to heaven? And if the answer is yes, I think the second thing would be, well, then you should probably share that with somebody. It would be really weird if your answer, you know, if you said, do you believe you're going to heaven? Yes. Have you shared it with anybody? No, because I'm keeping it for me. Well, that's not God's message. God's message is for us to share that hope that is inside of us. Paul tells them to be ready in and out of season. There's a number of times when you share Christ and it seems to go well. And there's other times where you share Christ and it just falls on deaf ears. So in and out of season. Times when you are uh, held back and then times when the gospel seems to go well. Uh, times when you're persecuted and times when you're very free. In and out of season. But be ready for all of those. So... Be ready to share the gospel with people and have people say, thank you for sharing that good news with me and I'm going to take it and go forth. And then be ready to share the gospel with your neighbors who won't look at you anymore when you drive by their house. It's only funny because it's true. I mean, I guess it's not funny because they're avoiding the truth, but you have to be ready for people to tell you, I don't want your Jesus. Don't let it hold you back. It doesn't matter. Your job is to be a herald. Not to save them because it's the Holy Spirit's job to save them. So you can't actually do that work. So don't worry about that side. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. All right, we've gone over these three like a whole bunch of times. So you guys know what they all are already. Now for Timothy the preacher, yes, do all these things. But for you as well, reprove is to do what? To show someone's guilt. 
This is a tough one in today's world because people will say, you're doing what? You're judging me. Oof. Yeah, I sure am. Sorry. It is what it is. I mean, what does Jesus say to all of these people who he healed? Go and sin no more. I mean, the whole idea is if you don't know something is sinful, <laughs> you just continue to do If nobody tells you it's sinful, how do you know it's sinful? I mean, this is, we've talked about this. When your kids creep up on the stove and you're cooking soup and the burner's hot and they're just about to touch it and you look at them and you go, oh, they're going to learn a bad lesson today. <laughs> what kind of horrible parent would you be if you didn't say, the stove is hot, what you're doing is bad for you, and I'm going to correct you before you hurt yourself, huh? There's different ways of parenting. Um, rebuke is to warn people of the direction they're heading, right? This doesn't mean be mean. This doesn't mean, you know, I, and I hate, like, I'll use the example of the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, that church that would stand out there with the signs that, like, America's going to hell because of gay people. Well, or your soldiers died because there's gay people. Like, that's just stupid. And by the way, if they don't repent, they are going to hell because what they are doing is not loving. It's not careful. It's not long suffering. It's not godly. Jesus never did that. Paul never did that. Peter never did that. We don't do, we don't go hate people into heaven. Uh, what they should be doing is uh, approaching people lovingly uh, and just asking if they've heard of Christ, asking if they've heard of Jesus, because you get people to more easily repent from their sin when they are able to turn and see who Christ is, right? They're not just staring into their sin, being told how bad it is. Um, so be careful when we rebuke that it's about just lovingly allowing people to know, hey, like, you know, the direction you're going may not have the eternal joy that you could have if you were in Christ. So very important perspective. And then exhort is to come alongside. We use that word exhort is that word paraclete root again. So when you exhort somebody, you know, in the church setting, when somebody calls is like, hey, I've got this issue. I got this problem. I need you alongside me. I need you to watch my kids. I'm having a bad day. I need some help. Whatever that thing is, we come alongside each other. We exhort one another. When the ladies get together and they talk about ladies stuff, which is probably doesn't have anything to do with the men here at all because we like to think that the women come together and talk about how awesome we are, which they probably should. We should moderate the next one, I guess. The reality is they exhort one another. They come alongside one another and love one another, and that's good. That's what they should be doing. And then teach with patience is the last one. The NASB actually adds the word teach with patience and instruction, which I really think fills that word up and allows us to understand what Paul's saying is, but a, for a church setting, a pastor should be teaching, not telling you how good you are or how good you're going to feel, how awesome you are, but actually teaching you from the word of God about God and about how we in God are the church, right? Uh, and there's a case to be made for all believers to know their faith well enough to tell somebody about it, which is, I think, why you should all be reading your Bibles. Because when you write it on your heart, <clears throat> it's um, easier to tell other people when you've been reading the Word. So here's some things you should be able to teach people about. Like, why do you believe? The, the question you get all the time. If you're a believer and you're living your believing life kind of out loud, so to speak, people will be, why do you believe in this God? 
And then they'll throw in that one thing. But isn't it just a book of old myths? You know, isn't it just translated a hundred times over? Why do you believe it? We have an answer for that. Doesn't Peter say have an answer for the hope that lies within you? Um, what has Jesus done in your life? Or there's a big word we like to use for this. It's called your testimony. So know your testimony. I like to lead with Christ first and then your testimony, but Christ has done things in my marriage and with my walk with my kids that I can, I guarantee you that if we were not believers, my marriage would not look the way, my marriage would not be alive today. We would have divorced many years ago. And I love telling people about that because especially where we work, marriages are an absolute mess. I mean, the divorce rate is like insane in the military. It's like 60 or more percent. And then second divorces are up over 80. So it's an amazing thing when people ask you, like, how did you stay married all those years through deployments? So I'm like, oh, funny you should ask. Would you like to talk about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Right? Sharing the truth, what the Spirit has done for you. Be able to teach somebody. All right. Verses 3 and 4. Moving fast today. And they're so fitting for today. Um, but I, I can't imagine a time in history when there were more false teachers than there are today. <laughs> Turn on the TV on a Sunday morning and flip channels and there's just like channel after channel after channel of people this morning probably telling you that Jesus is coming back within the next couple of weeks because Hamas attacked Israel. It's just like crazy the stuff that they're trying to get people to believe. So I, I just, um, these verses are very important. In three and four, this is where he says that people will not endure sound doctrine and want to have their ears tickled, right? And they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. People will not endure sound doctrine. Endure sound doctrine. Think about that for a second. Does it really seem that hard to endure somebody teaching you the truth? But what he's really getting at here is, has anybody ever been in a position where somebody told you the truth, but it hurt a little bit? Like if you're doing something wrong and they were like, hey, I love you. What you got going on there is not good for you. And it, because we're all fleshly creatures who are defensive, we're like, who are you to tell me that what I'm doing is right? Because that's our immediate response. It's very difficult to, for us to look across a table at somebody and say, you are right, I am wrong, and I need to turn away from that. I need to repent from that or apologize to somebody. If you've been married for a couple days, you've been in this situation before, we're at the end of a short argument in your head, you were like, ooh, that was all me, or at least 80% me. And I should probably be the one that repents and then goes to my significant other and apologize. It's very hard for us to do that because we are built selfish creatures. I know if you have kids, you know, you don't have to train selfish. Am I right? What do kids do when they're hungry and they're babies? Cry. Why? I want food. What do they do when they mess their diaper? Cry. It's like they're instantly born into crying for what they want. Vody calls them vipers and diapers, right? It's just like you're, we're born to be selfish, self-loving creatures. Um, so when they don't endure sound doctrine, it's like they don't want to set aside the things in their lives 
that their flesh desires, right? Feeling good. It's hard to give up the old you. And I, I, I guess that begs another question. Is there a part of your life that you know needs to be set aside in your Christian walk? Is there something in your life? Is it, some, is it things that you say? Is it something that you do? For a lot of the, one of the big ones today is things that men watch. Are there things in your life that you know you need to set aside that you just will not because it tickles your ears or it makes you feel good, it makes you happy and some of it, but it is not godly. Something that when we go over it from the Bible, part of your flesh wants to disagree and say, "Eh, it's not really hurting anybody else. Think about that for a second. It's not just about your ears being tickled. It's about your flesh getting the desire that it wants, but it's ungodly. People want to get their ears tickled. They want to be told what they want to hear. Right? It doesn't feel good for somebody to tell you what you're doing is wrong. It feels good for somebody to be like, you're doing such a good job with that. How about this one? Anybody seen any of these church signs ever? And there's one in Aberdeen. Come as you are. Come as you are. Or everyone welcome. I guarantee you those signs are euphemisms for things in the church that are ungodly. Because, yes, Christ reaches us in our sin, but we don't come to Christ in our sin. We repent from our ways as he draws us to him. And the church, the body, the ecclesia, is not a collection of people who are just a bunch of ragtag sinners. It is the body of Christ. It is the body of believers who have come together to love one another and fellowship with one another. And we need to recognize that. And I I mean, I could give you a laundry list of false teachers. You know, I've got some proclivity towards pointing those people out people who are telling you what you want to hear but instead i want to make it relatable okay i want to make this relatable to us sitting in this room um i think there can be a case made uh that a pastor is doing all he can to preach the fullness of the gospel message but people are still kind of getting their ears tickled Right, So you're essentially maybe in a good church environment and you like what you're hearing or you like the fellowship or you like the environment, but there's no change in you. So now Paul is most definitely teaching about a false gospel here, but I think as the church, we need to recognize that we, we, we have to be careful not to get comfortable in church. That you're hearing what you want to hear, but you're not responding through to the truth. And then throughout the week, I've been considering this about our group and some of the things we've done together and we'll meet and we'll meet for Thanksgiving this year. We'll meet for Christmas again. And we've had these over the last, it'll be our third Christmas together this year, I think. Second Christmas, almost three years, three Christmases together. It's pretty amazing. I'll choose a number. Um, But we meet together and we want to be together but are we just making people happy with coffee? Are we just making people happy, happy with pastries, right? Is it just the sense of fellowship? So is this just our thing? Like we come together, we make each other happy, and then that's it. Like we're kind of tickling each other's ears. We're just kind of making each other 
feel good about meeting together. I kind of talked with Chad about it yesterday. We met with coffee and I, and I just slide the Bible. I'm like, read this verse for a second. And like, am I off base with this? Or could we actually be sinful in this, in the church? Because we're just, even though we're trying very hard to exposit the word well and to do fellowship, right? Is this just become the comfort zone and it doesn't extend out of here into being, you know, a good believer, a walker of the word, like bringing it to the people. Because if we just keep it in here for ourselves, does it, does it even does it even really matter? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to heaven. But if I don't tell anybody, what difference does it make? We've talked about this walking, right? Christ wants, we're built to do good work. That part of that good work is bringing the gospel to people, to loving others, loving your enemy even. So if we're not bringing the gospel to people, then are we even useful? So I just ask that question, are we tickling your ears or tickling your feelings in here? Or is this changing us? As we study it, as we read it, are we actually going, oh, yeah, this is who I am as a believer. Like I said, I think specifically this, this passage is about false teachers, but I think as a church, we need to be careful they're not, we're creating a comfortable church environment that just keeps making us more and more comfortable. <clears throat> so I want to ask another question of you. Um, was anyone convicted last week from the message? And did you take it with you? So we talked about the Theonustos last week. So if you were convicted by that, and heard, oh, if I read the word of God and it is the breath of God, then yes, I'm going to spend time reading it. Or did you just go, hey, that was a cool word that I learned. And then I closed my Bible and set it on my bedside and I had to blow the dust off this week. So did I just tickle your ears last week or did it actually set in and you go, oh, yes. Now I know it's useful for me and now I know I'm going to use that. Um, did anyone actually read your Bible knowing that it was the Theonustos? Did anybody care how important it was? And I'm not, you don't have to answer this question. Did anyone read Psalm 30 this week? I put it out for you, not for me. I read it anyway. I'm reading through the Psalms. I'm going to do it. I'm going to share it with you. Put out Monday morning. Does anybody here know what Psalm 30 was about? I put kind of like the big thing right in that. It's about what? Does anybody know? Thankfulness. So it's about thankfulness. So I, I, I throw it out there, not for me. Like I said, I'm going to read it, but I'm going to put it in there for you. And since we're all fellowshipping and studying and learning together and we're accountable to one another, I would assume the expectation would be, hey, it's accessible to me. I'm, Jeff's making it easy for me. I'll, I'll read it. Or maybe, maybe you're reading something else and that's not useful and that's fine, but if you don't have something else going on, then, well, goodness, use it. Why wouldn't you, right? Did you write it on your heart? Did anybody ask you about your faith this week? And then if you had to express to somebody why you should be thankful to God, well, you should have read Psalm 30 because it would have given you all the answers. And in, in those two verses, one of the things Paul says here is that people will accumulate teachers in accordance with their own desires. People will lift up these teachers, not because they're challenged by what they peach, preach, but people are not motivated to be changed by the Word of God. And yeah, the Word of God should change us. I want you to listen to this. 
Paul wrote this in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. The word of God has to change you. If you read it, if you study it, if you write it on your heart, it's going to change you. Whether you want it to or not, listen to this. Paul says this to the Romans. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So giving yourself to God. I am now one of yours. Living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the word of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. So this isn't the renewing of your heart. The Holy Spirit does that. This is the renewing of your mind. So this is, I read and study the word of God and my brain changes because I am learning things. If you go to med school, when you were in an undergrad in college and you thought like Tylenol and Band-Aids were the answer to everything and then you go through a bunch of science classes and learn how to treat people with science or PA school, you have a renewing of your mind as to what medicine looks like and you're able to apply it to people. The same goes for our Christian walk. If we're not renewing our mind with the word of God, then we are useless for the kingdom. Useless. You have to renew your mind through the word of God. Otherwise, you will be conformed to this world. Because you are taking in the stuff in this world all day. TV, uh, the military is like this lately. There's always a TV in an office with news on. So you will get news, social media, and the people around you who talk about all the garbage politics that go on all year. So you are being changed. The question is, will you renew your mind the way that God wants it to be, right? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, Paul said that people will turn their ears from the truth and then towards myths. Interestingly, I had this article pop up yesterday. It was just like in, in a, a moment where I had to rest my old body yesterday while we were moving, surfing my phone. And this article pops up from uh, MSN. It was going to teach me something I had never learned before, so I decided to read through it. And it was 17 things that the Bible really didn't say. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it was the typical list, like homosexuality is never mentioned by Jesus. 17 things the Bible didn't say. I'm like, oh, yeah, Jesus did not use that word. Absolutely. One, because it, it's an English word. <laughs> so it wasn't used back then. Um, uh, money is not the root of all evil was one of them. If you want to Google that when you go home, it's, it's actually worded a little bit different. But it, yeah, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils, right? <laughs> so it's, it's actually even worse than, than that. Um, a whale did not swallow Jonah. It was a fish. Yeah, so the Bible's lying to you. It wasn't a whale, it was a fish. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is, this is, this is garbage, right? But this is what the world is trying to do. They, what they do is they get people who are not going to go check these things to read these things. And then they go, oh, look, the Bible is full of errors. It's renewing their mind too. It's changing their mind to think that the Bible is full of lies if you look at what the jews believed about the jonah story they probably would have thought some sort of leviathan giant sea animal fish whale it didn't matter that was not the point of the story 
But what they will do is they will twist something to try to get people to not believe the word of God. Anyway, they, they put a few things in their list that are actually true. So as you know, when you sprinkle a little bit of truth in things, it makes the false things more true, right? That's the way the world likes to do things to us. It makes it more convincing. So don't, let's not let that garbage into our church. There's probably a pastor teaching this morning on those 17 things. He probably just read them off an MSN and was like, oh, 17 things aren't in the Bible. He's probably just reading the MSN article and was like, there you go, church. Go enjoy your week, because that's the way some of these guys are. I've met a couple. Um, and, and it's going to tickle the ears of the people that are there. They're going to feel like they learned something new, right? And what Paul tells Timothy to do here next is to be sober. And being sober in this case is about making good decisions. Um, about what is taught, about enduring hardship, about being in and out of season, be sober, right? Make good, reasoned, biblical, scriptural, loving decisions uh, as you should as an elder for the church. We're called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and we cannot do that if our ears are being tickled. You can't make sound decisions if you're always hearing all those little things that make you feel good about yourself. We have to be challenged. You have to be corrected when you're wrong. We got to hold fast to the truth. We got to set aside myths. So Paul's getting ready to close out this letter and we're going to close it out next week, but it's weird right here in the middle of this kind of closing section here. He gives us some news that might seem like bad news. It's kind of weird the way he just kind of sticks this in there that he expects to die. He's like, Oh, I'm kind of getting ready to die. He does not propose his certain death as bad news at all. It's actually good news. He's going to keep on pressing until the bitter end. It's preaching season is what he's telling him here. He said he's already been poured out as a drink offering. Right? To literally be emptied. It is over. I have poured it all out. The offering is gone. I have poured myself, or Christ has poured him out as a drink offering. The time of departure has come. Some sort of indication that his death is imminent. Now, if you remember, we've talked about it a couple times now. Where is Paul? He's in Rome. And where in Rome? He's in prison. Now, he was on house arrest when we talked about him in the other prison epistles, but this time he's not. He's in a dungeon. So he knows it's coming. Rome is coming apart. It hates Christians. And Paul is one of the worst of all Christian criminals because he just keeps sharing the truth with people. He knows he's going to get killed soon. But listen to what he says instead of, oh, they're going to kill me and everything's coming to the end. Instead, what he says is, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. I'm like, man, that is quite a positive attitude for a guy who's probably not eating, chained in a dungeon and is going to be killed for his faith. But it's about perspective, right? And I wonder if many believers can say this about their walk with Christ. I wonder, like, if you knew you were going to die, really soon, next week. If you knew you were going to die next week, would you be comfortable with what you have left on the table in your life? Would you be comfortable with what you have done in your walk if you knew it was going to end next week? I, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could be as comfortable as Paul. I'd be like, oh, I better do some more stuff. Right? Which, of course, isn't the way we do things because we don't work for our salvation. But I, I would feel like this is what Paul, 
You know, your average person would just be like, what else can I do to get into heaven? And Paul is like, no, I've, I'm a, I believe in him. I am rest assured. I am going to heaven. I have fought the good fight. I have left it all out on the mat, right? You, would you feel like you hadn't wasted your time? Would you feel like you loved your spouse the best you possibly could if you knew you were going to die next week? For, for not just for you, but for their well-being. Like, have you loved your spouse enough for, to his glory, but for them, to serve them? You know, if you were going to die soon, um, would you have loved your kids enough to raise them up in the good news of Christ crucified? You know, would you be able in your head to say, if he takes me next week, my kids are going to go to heaven too because I raised them up in him. And I'm satisfied that Christ is going to do that work. He's promised that to me, and I'm okay with that. Would you feel like you'd shared the hope that is in you as much as you possibly could? Or would you lay there on your bed thinking, there's that one person that I just, man, if I just shared the gospel with them, maybe today they'd be saved. But I didn't, and now I can't reach them. Or did you just go to church and get your ears tickled? That's, that's what Paul's saying. People just go to get their ears tickled. So would that be you? Would that be me? You could just go to get your ears tickled and you never really, you wouldn't be able to leave next week without thinking, man, I really did not do what I should have done. Do you come here just to get a good feeling and to eat the pumpkin muffins with the pumpkin fluff, which is delicious? You have some friends you haven't shared the gospel with yet that need to hear about Christ? Somebody in your life that uh, you know, because when I'm saying it to you right now, I know everybody's thinking about somebody. Will you? If you were to be taken next week, would you just let that person go? So here's the good news, friends. Go to verse 8. Paul says this, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who has loved his appearing. That's you, by the way, believer. What an amazing statement to feel like you've poured yourself, completely poured yourself into your family, poured yourself into your spouse, men, remember, like Christ did, lifting her up to the Father, spotless, without wrinkle, right? It's not just up for us to love our wife, but to prepare her for heaven, to lay it all out for her. That you poured yourself into your friends, that you poured yourself into your neighbors so much that you know your Lord will have a crown of righteousness for you on that day. When he either calls you home or comes back, whichever comes first. That you just know it. Like Paul's like, I just, it's just it. He's going to take me soon. I know I'm going to go, but he's got a crown of righteousness waiting for me. It reminds me of that famous parable of the talents where the servant who hid the talent, Christ calls him evil, right? But then there's the two other guys who he gives the talents to, two talents and five talents. And the master says, well, what did you do? And he asked both of them, and the answer is the same for both. The guy with two talents had increased his two talents to, to four, and the guy with five talents had increased his talents to ten. 
And what he's the master says to them is, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's like God is like, he's not asking you to earn your way into heaven, but he's like, what he has given you is whispering pines, comfortable, beautiful weather, October, 83 degrees. Nobody is going to treat you poorly if you share the gospel with them. All you got to do is go exclaim, proclaim, share your hope with somebody everywhere you go. And at the end, he goes, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I had for you to work for me. Because I loved you, you love other people. Just give them that good news. That's all you have to do. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. So he just gave you the Bible and people. That's it. Bible and people. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He's like, so I gave you the Bible in a community of people and you just go share that. And if you do that, when you're done, I'm going to bring you into glory. Something you can't even get your head around that the human brain can't imagine to sit in the throne room of the father with angels singing. I think it'll be here. I think we'll still be creating and things will be amazing and it'll be beyond all recognition. He's going to give us all that just for here. Go, go share me. So friends, I, I think our Lord has given us so much. He's given us these things. He's given us grace. As a believer, you know, he's given you grace. He's given you faith. He's given you mercy. We know that because he hasn't killed you yet. He's put hope inside of your heart. It's preaching season. It's time to tell somebody, go bring God to somebody else. It's preaching season. Share the hope with people. Don't sit back and let your ears be tickled. If you leave here today and you're like, eh, that was, I was all right, then you're wrong. You got to go read the book and you got to share it with somebody else. Read the word of God for yourself. Listen to sound doctrine. Love people hard. Love people hard. Love people well. Reach the lost and share the gospel. It's preaching season. Father God, we are thankful for you today and we just ask that you would continue to convict us to work for you. Not for our salvation, but from our salvation. That we would realize you've given us so much. All we have to do is love people enough to tell them that you loved us first. And there's so much more. There is so much more for us. If we could just get people to realize the hope that lies inside of us. If you would just make us understand how easy it is to proclaim your name. If you just make us realize how many hopeless people are out there that if they just knew how good you were, it would change their entire perspective on their existence today. That we realize all we need to do is open our mouths. Read the word of God. Read your word. Let it pour into us. Breathe over us. And then share it with somebody who we love. Or somebody we don't know. We just ask that you convict us of that, God. And realize how good you are. We're thankful for this beautiful Sunday and this time spent together. And ask that you richest blessedly as we go into the week as witnesses to you. And we ask all this in the name of our precious and holy Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>